Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. Coach Dub Maddox joins the S2 Cognition Podcast today. Brandon and I have had the pleasure of meeting Coach a few years ago at the Quarterback Collective event out in Los Angeles, and immediately I could tell how intelligent he was. Coach Maddox is the assistant head coach and quarterback coach at Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He previously was the offensive coordinator for 13 years for the Jinx Trojans in Oklahoma, where they were nationally ranked all 13 years and won four state titles. He is considered to be one of the leading experts in quarterback training and offensive scheme tactics in the country. He's a four-time author and creator of the revolutionary R4 training system. Today, we dive into the R4 system on the podcast in greater detail and have linked to the URL in the podcast description if you're interested in visiting that. Coach Maddox was selected by Huddle Top 100 Awards, the 16th highest innovator that has changed the game of football, right behind Coach Tony Dungy and Coach Pete Carroll. We discussed the most important cognitive process that a high school quarterback has to use on the football field and how that aligns with our findings of NFL and collegiate quarterbacks and their decision-making skills. We also dive into how he's specifically worked on training on the field decision-making in quarterbacks and how everyday coaches can implement these easy to use developmental strategies in the practices. All of that is next here on the S2 Cognition Podcast. And as always, please subscribe, leave a review and share a podcast with a friend. Dub Maddox is next. Dub, we appreciate you joining us today, man. Before we dive into our conversation about uh, cognition and football, you know, what are you up to recently? Yeah, so I'm the uh, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach at uh, Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're currently uh, finishing up our regular season, having a great year, and gearing up for the playoffs. During the offseason, I collaborate with coaches across the country and quarterbacks across the country and train and developed a system over the last 15 years that helps accelerate cognition for coaches and quarterbacks. Really excited to be on today, consulted with Brandon for probably the last three years and Scott S2, and they've really opened my eyes on some things and confirmed a lot of things that I, I felt for a long time in the quarterback world. Can I uh, jump in real quick and get some of that feedback from you? We're going to talk about a lot of that today. Will you explain R4 for the listeners before we jump in? Yeah. Well, it started out as a reads and recognition system for quarterbacks. And this went back to my first year as a quarterback coach. And I had a really talented kid that had a lot of innate abilities that you're looking for in a great quarterback and really did a good job through the regular season. We got into a playoff game where there's a lot of pressure and we're running a simple curl flat concept, a single defender key read. Uh, he threw it right to the linebacker for a pick six and the quarterback comes to the sideline and looks at me and says coach I have no idea what I'm seeing out there and he totally was in a tailspin and this kid never got rattled and it was that moment where I felt like I had no capacity as a coach to pull him out uh, of the ditch that he was in and I felt helpless and I'm like how do I how do I coach this out of a kid you know how do I get into his head and understand what he was seeing and why he was breaking down and I didn't have the tools. And so that kind of sent me on a mission that offseason to find out and kind of go outside the domain of football and get into, you know, the cognitive world. What causes people to tailspin? So I looked at firefighters, uh, fighter pilots, and tried to study people that perform in high pressure situations. And how do they train those people to be elite under pressure and work through those failures? And so that's really what R4 became. It was a way to, to model what the military uses in their training to train um, soldiers in battle, what you know, high-level emergency workers do, doctors in emergency rooms, 
And we took the, the strategies that they've employed and we've developed them into a training uh, system for quarterbacks to see things faster, to build that anticipation and to basically how to enhance processing under pressure. And so that's what R4 was. It was uh, it stands for rhythm, read, rush, release. It's the really the four key categories that quarterbacks have to process on passing plays. And so after we went through that and had a lot of success with kids, and there's millions of stories out there of people improving their, their performance under pressure through those strategies. As a coordinator, I kind of figured out that I needed those same tools a quarterback needs in calling plays. I need to be able to look out onto the football field and be able to quickly see things that are uh, happening before they happen and to be able to see split second movements post snap and know what those mean and communicate those not only to you know the 11 players on offense but also you know the four or five or six or eight coaches on the sideline we all have to be aligned cognitively and visually and so the tools that we gave the quarterback to see that on passing plays were the same tools that we as coaches need. And so you'll see a lot of coaches in their infrastructure um, and how they communicate and how they see things on the field and how they game plan. It's fractured and um, their systems are broken. And so what it was kind of cool to see that the, the platform we created for quarterbacks also is used in coaching. And so that's R4 has grown. It's really an offensive system now. It's a way to accelerate decision making under pressure and to streamline the process of game planning and play calling. And that's the, the short version of it. But again, it's just a, a way to, to enhance cognition and give you a process to do that. And we'll for sure link that in the description so people can go check it out. Brandon, how does that align? How does R4 align with how we think of cognition? You know, it's, it's really interesting. So, you know, as, as we were ramping up our football business, uh, Dub was probably one of the first guys I came in contact with. And I met Dub at the Quarterback Collective probably five years ago. That really opened my eyes to just the very detailed sort of cognitive processing that these quarterbacks have to do. You know, I mean, I, I, I was an athlete, not, not a football player. And, you know, I'm still in the mode of thinking of like, hey, get open, hit, draw and plays on hands. And, you know, Dub really sort of aligned really well about the sort of like even the visual processing, like looking at the hips and determining what is open. I think Dub was the first guy that sort of like opened my eyes to what is open. And one of the things, one of the conversations, the unique conversations that I had with Dub that I, I don't know that I've ever had even in talking with scientists is the concept of search efficiency, right? And when we're, when we're searching for a target, in our visual space, which a quarterback has to do a lot, right? You're, you're searching for a receiver, you're searching for a, a defender, but searching for space, that was not a concept that we really sort of thought about as scientists, especially in science and sport. And Dub was talking to us about where you look for space, how you look for space, what is open, what's not open, and how that actually changes as the game progresses. So, you know, these high schoolers open is very different than what SEC is open. And then SEC open is very different than what NFL open is. And so how do we define open and how do we search for open? I think was the first thing that led to me to sort of like, okay, we, we really need to dig in deep into guys with expertise like this. And so it, it really got us shaping our thinking behind the, the model of quarterback, what cognitive skills are important for quarterbacks and how we define those. Yeah, I remember talking to Kirk and we were talking through the differences and levels of openness, right? So Kirk Cousins is like, 
Yeah, sure. I mean, everybody looks pretty in, you know, in their, in their underwear throwing, you know, at the NFL combine, but he was talking about how do we, how do we learn how guys are open? And as you go up the levels, the, the windows are less and less. And so you have to, there has to be trust and I'm going to make this throw and it's going to make it. I know it doesn't seem open, but it feels open. Dub, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the world that we live in as coaches with our quarterbacks. Like I said, when I first started coaching quarterbacks, I'm calling the post shot and our quarterback drops back and it's it's clearly not open and he throws it into triple coverage for a pick and he comes to the sideline and I said what what are you doing why are you throwing the post I go that was not open he said yes it was and so here we are I'm having an argument with a 16 year old and we're on totally two different planes <laughs> our perceptions are not so it's like how do we fix that well you have to ha- be working from a common frame of reference so visually I had to sit down and figure out ways to establish frames of reference for my quarterback on the football field that we're, we're able to establish, you know, open space versus not open. And so one of the things we created was the hard deck, and it's just a simple horizontal line across the field, just an imaginary line. We set it at high school at seven yards from the line of scrimmage. It's typically where the umpire will stand, the referee will stand in a high school game. He's around seven to eight yards. So that gives us a clear frame of reference, kind of like polar north to operate from, to be able to gauge the vertical placement of safeties and corners. And so if they're under the hard deck line, the anticipation of open space is is greater. I mean, we can like, you know, is he above or below the hard deck? I mean, it's a real simple concept, but if we're not operating from a key frame of reference, then our perceptions are going to be entirely different. And so that was one of the, the small things that we have in R4 that helped really clear the clutter. And so now, you know, if there's two guys above the hard deck, that post is capped. Hey, let's go to the secondary route. So again, that's just the introductory level of what we're talking about here. But I mean, we go deeper now with hip angles and what they mean. If a, if a defender's hip angle is aligned in a certain way, maybe it's like it's fully turned and it's facing the end zone. He's in a dominant position to close on vertical space. And so the horizontal space underneath is uncapped. His hips are turned to the sideline. That's a man hip angle. We code everything. And I really feel that language is critical. Like um, hmm. I, I wrote a book, Apology. You know, it's right here. This came out um, a, a year and a half ago. I, I wrote it during the pandemic because I had a lot of time to study. And so I was amazed at all of the relationships of how the language you use can enhance your perception of what you see. And so there's a lot of studies out there and there's a lot of things like, for example, in some native tribes, like there's a Himba tribe in Africa, they have a language structure in their culture that allows them to see all kinds of different shades of green because green is very important in their environment. Um, Where if you take an American to that environment and you show him those different shades of, of color squares, he can't determine the different shades of green. It, it, they all look the same to him. And it's, it's based on the language that they've used to code those different shades. And conversely, uh, the Himba tribe, they cannot see blue. Um, blue is not important in their culture. So again, they can have a bunch of different shades of green color squares and have a blue, and the blue looks green to them because blue is not important. They haven't coded that color. And so for me, just bringing that analogy into the football world, if I'm not coding those key alignments, whether it be hip angles, whether it be cushion levels, whether it be certain spaces, then my quarterback is not possibly going to be able to see and understand what that means. And so I think the benefit of Capology, the book, and what R4 does is we code those factors that matter most in making those split-second decisions where 
you know, it may not help in, in the first time we do it, but it allows them to improve through failure faster because we're able to code through that and talk through that. For the standard sort of football coach out there, standard high school coach, what does that look like from a practical standpoint? You spend a lot of time on film with your quarterbacks coding this kind of and going over and repping this kind of stuff. Is it done in practice? How, how do you practically sort of implement something like that? Well, on the field, we're not, it's, it's very, it's, it's a brevity code system. So what the military does and the special forces does, they establish what they call brevity code. So there are little words that say a lot with a little. So we pack a lot of meaning and a lot of value to those critical components with specific words. And we're real specific with our language and what it means. So that's what we use on the field. It's a one word means a lot. And so again, I now I have time to dive into all that. That can be for a later day, but that's how we do on the field. We're not doing a lot of talking on the field. Now in the classroom, you know, we teach and we go more in depth with film and it's enhanced even more the last couple of years because I, I partnered with a company called reps with the Oculus. Now they have the MetaQuest, right? So we're able to, so I, I partnered with the virtual reality company two years ago and we've created um, some courses and we use this with our players during the season. So we film everything with the GoPro 360 on top of the quarterback's helmet. And we put that camera on the quarterback. So we film everything in practice with a 360 camera. We upload it into our reps technology and we can put the quarterback in the Oculus. And I teach him virtually through a 360 degree environment. Oh, so that's I mean, awesome. He looks at his shoes. He yeah. looks, turns around, looks at his back. He can see everything. And so this changed the game for me. For example, last week, our quarterback went 24 of 27 for 418 yards and set an all-time <laughs> single-season completion record. And I really feel it's because of what we're doing with this technology, and we're able to teach him through the lens that he sees in a real-world environment in the game. So when they measure the brain waves of the players that use this technology, the brain fires just like it would in real life in a game. So it tricks the brain. So you're getting a lot of more reps virtually because it's 360 camera it's not like 3d graphics when we put our players on turf we will put the cleats on him and put a ball in his hand with the oculus on there and i'll actually coach him through this like standing up and so in his mind he feels like he's still on the field it's it's insane well, anyway to go back brand your question so again i went on vacation a couple years ago with my wife and we were out in cabo and so i'm knee deep in the water looking down and see all these fish moving around swimming and then I put the snorkel line going underneath. It's like those fish are bigger. The colors are more vibrant. And it's like when it hit me when I was in that, I was like, this is what my quarterback must feel like. Because I was teaching from this above the view, film view for so many years. And I'm saying, okay, now see this receiver. This is open. This is not. Or you see the hip angle here. But it wasn't teaching it from his perspective. And when I got below that water line with the goggles on, with the snorkel on, I was like, this is what my quarterback feels like in this Oculus headset. I'm now coaching him through actually what he sees in real life. So we're talking about hip angles and seeing it from his perspective in the pocket. It connected at a faster level. And so what I'm seeing now this season is an acceleration like I've never seen before with a kid correcting his mistakes or seeing things faster, the anticipatory things that you have to do, because we're coaching and communicating from the same perspective and we're getting multiple reps outside of the football field. And so all those factors together have, have allowed for a tremendous amount of acceleration. Man, Cabo in this winter sounds fantastic with Matthew Stafford and Coach McVay. But I, hey, Dub, you said something earlier that I really want to talk about. And we didn't have it part of the, the script to talk about our questions, but you mentioned a word that we hear Brandon, how often do we hear the word anticipation? 
So I'd love for you to describe, you know, Dub, when you say anticipation, what do you think a quarterback is thinking through when he has to anticipate a throw? What are the things that going through his mind? And then Brandon, I want you to hear Dub's response and say, and break that down from a science perspective of what the brain is actually doing when it's anticipating. Again, it's, it's predicting futures. And so, you know, anticipation, a lot of it can be done pre-snap, but to me, anticipation to accelerate, you have to know how to eliminate the noise. You have to find what matters most and you have to limit it to one, maybe two things because we're under, in a pressure packed environment. So again, you can't think about all the million things that can go wrong or look at 50 different things. It's like, okay, here's my, my defender, you know, that tells me here's the space I'm working. And then to me, What's an accelerated anticipation for us is the concept of anchoring visually. And so one of the things that, that, that I read and did a lot of study on was anchoring. And so what I found is that experts in any field, in particular like soccer and other sports, there's a lot more research in, in other sports outside the domain of football. And so I have to really go outside the domain and try to make connections to the football world. And so what I found was like experts in soccer, they're really good at focusing on functional space and they can anchor their eyes between defenders and their peripheral vision can pick up those key movements. For me, it was like, I just trying to use like real world things. I can remember as a kid playing, like going to the pizza place with all the games, playing the, the whack-a-mole game, right? And so they have those little weasels popping up. And I can remember as a kid, like figuring out if I can focus my eyes at the center of the board, my peripheral can pick up those movements faster and I can, that I can anticipate it coming up just as it's doing. And so I was able to get more. You know, that's just one like thing that I can remember doing. So connecting it to the quarterback, we focused a lot this last offseason on anchoring drills where based on the concept, like a spacing concept is the most simple concept in football. So typically you have uh, like a spot route over the center. You have like an eight yard sit that's like 10 yards from him. And then you have a flat route. And if you can't read a spacing route as a quarterback, you're not a quarterback. I mean, like to play at college level or play NFL, if you can't throw a space, a simple spacing concept, you're not going to be good. So how do we accelerate anticipation and spacing? Well, I used to teach, well, you're going to look at the spot first, then the sit, then the flat, right? Well, so now I'm mechanical. My, I've got more saccades. And so the more movement that you have, right? The, the more blind you are. So, so we've got to reduce the amount of eye movements we have. This last offseason really focused on the anchoring concept. So positioning our central focus between those two primary defender threats that can cover the spacing concept. So once we started really focusing on anchoring our eyes between defenders and teaching our quarterbacks how to read, you know, using that peripheral to read those key movements, we could see all three routes on the drop and my quarterbacks are getting the ball out on rhythm on the last step as opposed to resetting and finding the open guy. So that was a huge advancement for our kids, our 15, 16, 17-year-old players. I saw a big jump in their ability to anticipate open space when they understood how to place their eyes and pull in more defenders as opposed to a single defender key read where you get more tunnel vision. Dub is by far the expert on anticipation when it comes to quarterbacks. But, you know, there are a lot of cognitive processes that go into that. And he hit on a few, right? I mean, distraction control, your ability to focus in and not let those uh, ancillary characters pull your attention away is definitely one aspect. Another aspect that, that Dub and I have talked about in the past is, you know, these kids that uh, have this inherent ability to sort of take information that they've known and match it to a template. So, you know, if a defense lines up in a certain set, even though that playbook may be 250 plays, they can already narrow it down to, okay, this is what's likely going to happen, which gives them a little bit of an anticipatory advantage. 
what Dub is talking about and the the thing that we measure that's like it's the, it's the most critical thing to quarterbacking is tracking capacity, right? And this tracking capacity number has been related to it's correlated with completion percentage in the NFL and at the college level, and that's your ability to not only track multiple moving objects in your visual field, and th- this is done better in the periphery, but it's also the ability to anticipate sort of based on the speed and angle of two objects, when two things might collide. That's a basic human. I mean, we use it all the time for driving. We use it all the time for navigating in the, in the store, right? You take in speed and angle of another object and, and can anticipate, you, you know, your brain does all of these calculations on trajectory and where things will end up in space, but it's critical to the quarterback, not just to see the whole field, right? I mean, that's an important ability. But we can help quarterbacks with a little bit of tunnel vision, right? I mean, we can narrow down, okay, you're only going to be searching in this sort of this half of the field or this quadrant or whatever. But what Dub's talking about is that ability to say, okay, the safety has six six yards. I have to throw it by X time before some two objects will collide, right? That is what the the sort of anticipation that that he's talking about, which is just it's critical to not only your reads, but also knowing when, the when something has to occur. I've got to throw this ball now, or I've got to throw this ball within X amount of time to be able to hit that guy open. Deb, take this in any way that you want to. I, Based on what Brandon's talking about with tracking, I know you probably see that. You're able to probably pick that out early with the quarterbacks that you see. Let's say you get a couple new quarterbacks and you're helping them through things. You put these concepts out. You can tell pretty quickly who's who has that ability, who doesn't. When you're evaluating a quarterback, what are some of the key cognitive pieces that you're looking for? The first one and the most important one is the ability to perform under pressure. That is a non-negotiable. So I've had numerous guys that can throw it and you know, make all the throws. They, they understand the information. But if you can't execute that under live fire, and I think that's one of those that you're born with that. I mean, it's, it's very tough to like coach a kid through that. You know, you can get better through more, you know, playing, but I think, you know, performing under pressure, it's a bit, that, that's the number one. I think the other ones are, are like what Brandon's saying. I think the tracking capacity is huge. Some of the things that I'll do with my guys is that if I'm evaluating quarterbacks or just trying to determine is my, is the kids that I have, or who's going to be the best one. You can play a simple game of tag and can a kid anticipate like cuts and movements before they happen? Like, you know, like or just give them a ball and play some backyard touch football. And can they make cuts before the defenders, you know, close? And I, I, I have a couple quarterbacks that they were just like a step late on their cuts and anticipating the movements. And I think it was Brandon was talking. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, my quarterback now, it was interesting because he's he's just a sophomore and he's really advanced with his ability, with his tracking capacity and some of these things. And I was talking to him. I was like, how long have you been playing football? What did you do before? The, and so we got in the conversation. Well, he started motocross when he was two years old. <laughs> And so from two to six, he was riding motorcycles and doing motocross. And he, and, and so I just kind of unpacked the story. I was like, well, what's that like? He's like, well, it's very dangerous and you're on these dirt tracks and you got these jumps. And so you always have to have awareness of like these boulders and rocks in there. And so I thought it was interesting. It had a very young age, right? He had to learn or develop that tracking capacity and that anticipatory things you need to avoid those pitfalls. 
and he's going at a high rate of speed. So, you know, the ability to be on a bike and go fast and, you know, he's able to, to do that now and be in the face of a blitz and he just does not back down. And so I thought it was interesting. He was developing these things at a very young age in a different domain, but they carry over to quarterback. So, you know, I, I think that's, you know, something for parents, if they're listening out there, their kids, you know, you don't have to start football necessarily young, but, you know, put them in environments where they have to build these these tools or, or, or improve on these tools, I think is, is is something to think about. Yeah, really interesting. You know, two years old, I'd have to ask my parents, I don't even know if I was walking yet. So riding a bike, man, that's pretty, yeah. pretty impressive. You know, I, I want to follow up something that you said. Now we've talked about evaluating. Let's flip the script a little bit to maybe the training perspective, right? So let's say you evaluated the quarterback, you've seen what he can do. Dub, can you walk me through the quick decision-making skills you're, you're trying to train in these quarterbacks? I think footwork is is a big one. So another thing that in terms of the evaluation process or the development, best quarterbacks I've had, and I think you look at, the, at any level, Power 5 or get all the way to the NFL, have the ability to manipulate their footwork based on the environment that they're feeling or seeing from the defense. So example, if it's if it's a cover zero blitz and it's all out pressure, they're able to accelerate their footwork or adjust their drop based on the route they're throwing. So they can make mental connections of, well, here's the route or the concept I'm throwing. Here's when the ball has to be out, but here's what the defense is presenting. So you know, Aaron Rodgers might take a quick five-step drop on one play. The next, very next play could be the same type of concept. It might be a, a, an elongated seven-step drop because he's buying more time. So they they can manipulate the timeline with their drop, and it's choreographed to the concept. And so that's one of the things that we really focus on with R4 is putting routes into families and understanding that routes have DNA. They have space and time requirements that dictate what footwork you need to use and when the ball needs to be out. So when your quarterback can make um, connections of the type of drop that they need to use to match those route concepts and understand the relationships there, they then can go a, a level deeper and learn how to manipulate their drops to speed up or to give them more time to process. And so what I've found with great quarterbacks that I've worked with, they can make those connections and they can manipulate drops under pressure and give a reason why they use that drop. If you can get that down, you're going to have a really good quarterback um, outside of him just being able to make the base throws with mechanics. But the kids that I've seen that haven't succeeded at the quarterback position, they cannot translate that to a live game under pressure. That Their drops get erratic. There's no connection with why what drop they used, and they, they can't make that that rhythmic connection during the game. So that's a big that's one for me is, is footwork. And, and so you'll see kids that – I mean, to me, if a kid you throw him into uh, to a team situation – and if he can't take the proper drop and relate it to the concept, he's not going to be probably a good quarterback. This is something we haven't really talked about, Doug. I'm glad you're bringing this up. We've done pro baseball and college baseball for a really long time. And, it, and we took everything straight from a hitter's perspective. And after having a conversation with a pitching coach that talked about the, this sort of rhythmic dance between pitcher and hitter and that everybody's wind up is different, right? And, and certain pitchers actually use different windups to sort of throw off timing. But ultimately, the hitter has to have rhythm in when he loads his, his swing based on that sort of rhythmic dance between him. And so we added a rhythm task to the battery to under, understand who is really good at getting that rhythm down and who struggles with that. Obviously, we don't want to assess a quarterback for two hours, but I think it would be really interesting, you know, and it's something we could do with your kids, actually, 
we could just send you the rhythm task and you could sort of try to match that up to the kids you feel like have good rhythm and are able to adjust based on the situation uh, versus those who struggle. That's absolutely fascinating. That's one of the key things I go to quick because it's a real quick determinant if his kid's going to play. And this is just, you know, I've stuck with kids longer than I should have. And over the years, I've just realized that if they can't carry over that those different rhythms under pressure, you just you really don't have that factor you need to be great at quarterback. And you look at all the great quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, Joe Montana in the West Coast offense, it's built on rhythm and timing. And even if you're not in the West Coast offense, the great quarterbacks still find a way to innately tie that footwork into that throw and learn how to manipulate the timeline. Aaron Rodgers being one of the best at manipulating and, and choreographing his footwork with those throws. So again, that's a big one for me. I would love to, to test my guys on that and, get, and talk more about that. Absolutely. Well, it's something fascinating. Uh, Brandon, Dub talked earlier about, you know, putting the MetaQuest on and actually going through. It's something that we talk a lot about, the transfer effect. When training your quarterback, and Brandon, I want you really to dive more into the scientific <laughs> explanation of this, but you know, when training a quarterback, it's best to put him in the environment that he's going to perform in. So you can't expect, can't play an iPad app and get be a better hitter. You're not going to raise batting average. 95 is 95. Really hard to hit 95. Right. Can right. you talk about this, what Dub's kind of stumbling on or what he found out with this MetaQuest and, and this concept of transfer? Yeah, I mean, this is something we've been after for years. And, you know, we've been chasing the virtual reality beast for a good decade now. And, you know, you walk into a lot of clubs and it's it's collecting dust. And the, the big reason why is because it wasn't accurately depicting what these athletes have to do in reality. It, it was more just trying to produce a 3D version of the playbook, which does not translate to the field, right? And so I think in the last couple of years, there's been a couple of companies that are really on this where you can dynamically manipulate performance in there so you can get reps. So things like impulse control, things like timing. If you've got a quarterback with impulse control problems and they're throwing a lot of interceptions, there are lots of tools that we use for ADHD kids to be able to improve impulsivity. Those tools will not transfer to the football field. They're not going to make your quarterback throw fewer interceptions. He may be less impulsive in the classroom, but he's not going to be less impulsive as a quarterback. You've got to train that in the context. You've got to force him to make decisions based on partial reads or speeding up, slowing down. Now with the VR technology, you can mimic and manipulate exactly how it's going to occur in the game. You can move the needle on those things. So it's really impressive to see Dub using it in a way that is moving the needle in performance and not just a way like, hey, here's what your opponent's defense is going to look like in 3D next week, right? And I think that difference is what's going to make not only the VR technology soar and better, it's going to make our athletes better and perform better and, and be able to face sort of, you know, it's problematic. If, if you're an NFL quarterback, you're game, you have 16 games in a season, right? And you want them to do something in the game, they've got 16 opportunities. So how long does it take for you to learn something when it's real time? How long do you put up with a quarterback's mistakes? You know, you've got to have a tolerance for mistakes. So being able to have those, what you're going to see, what you're going to feel in a game is just, that is how you move the needle in athletic performance. I'm thrilled to hear that Dub has been able to take advantage of that. And I think it is the next sort of frontier on player development, especially in a collision sport. 
like football. Doug, if I'm a high school or college uh, football coach hearing you talk about cognition and the split second decision making, how can I take what you're talking about and practically go implement that into my practice tomorrow? Can you talk to that? I have a ton of resources online. We have a website, r4footballsystem.com. I've got a ton of courses. I've written four books on the process. There's a lot of a lot of resources out there we have on our website for sale. That's where I would I would direct a coach. Reach me at, on Twitter at Coach Dub Maddox or uh, email dub.maddox at gmail.com. Again, I talk to guys all over the country um, every year. It's my passion and, and I learn from other guys as well. So that's what I recommend, books or online courses. Um, on our on our website. So, Dub, before yeah. as, as we wrap up, I've there have been some incredible quarterback play at the college level this year. I, I need to hear from your mouth. Who's looking good, man? Who, who's really impressed you this year? I'm partial to Caleb Williams just because I, I got to meet him at the collective event we were at a few years ago, <laughs> and he's a very special talent. So he has really impressed me. He's he's probably one of my favorite to watch. He's very dynamic. He's a great young man. Look forward to seeing him compete every week and, and, and for years to come. Our last segment, Dub, is always the random three funny questions that literally have nothing to do with what we've just spent, I don't know, 35 minutes talking about. Are, right. are you ready for some of those? Let's fire up. Yeah, Okay. Let's go. All right. So the food you're eating, not currently, but let's say you're sitting down, you're eating food. It has fallen on the floor. What's your general rule about, okay, do I eat it now? Do I put it back? Do I get, what's your general rule about food falling on the floor? And then next steps. Five second rule, right? Five second rule. Okay. That's what I was raised on, right? And that's public place or private place. Doesn't matter. Oh, well, that's different. Now, now, with, now we're post pandemic. <laughs> it's probably just private. Yeah. You know, I think okay. this has changed after 2020. So okay. I probably need to update the way I feel about that. <laughs> that yeah, that's a, that's a good adaption. I'm glad you've added that to the arsenal of decision making. Question two, what's the greatest conversation you've ever been a part of and who was it with? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Probably. Oh, man. You know what? I know exactly what it is. It's the okay. first time I met my wife. Got set up uh, with her on a blind date, and we were at that restaurant for six hours and shut it oh. down. It was the best conversation I ever had. It changed my life. Talk any football there? We actually we did. We did. I found out she was a big football fan. That was a key thing. That, that was a uh, deal. That, deal maker. Yeah, absolutely. Last question. When you travel, what is one thing that you cannot leave behind? You have to bring this with you. What is it? Probably my phone because I love taking pictures and video and putting together little movies to, to remember the, the trip on. So it's it's the phone, not to be on social. That's shut off, right? But, <laughs> but it's definitely use that camera to capture those moments and, and make little videos to remember them by. This is my first follow-up on a funny question. I'm putting you on the spot. Can you show me the last photo you took on your phone? Absolutely here. Boy, you guys are, man, this is uh, it's a good one here. All right, last photo I had. <laughs> right? There's Halloween with my, with my youngest son right here. Yes, right? love it. And Hulk, so that is awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah, that's it right there, man. We had a good time. Thanks uh, for taking us into your personal life a little bit. Dub Maddox, the offensive coordinator at Union High School out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We appreciate your time. We'll link all the descriptions to R4. Man, it was great to talk to you. I really appreciate you you know, sharing your wisdom and understanding of the cognitive processes, the transferring quarterbacks, and what we're starting to see. So thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, guys. It was a blast. Awesome as always, Dub. Hey, man. Enjoyed it. It's great to connect again. 
dub was great. We hoped you enjoyed the content today and learned more about quarterbacks and their decision making. As always, if you like the content we are putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of the app and leave a review about the episode and share it with a buddy. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please visit s2cognition.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to the S2 Cognition podcast. Your host, Harrison Hunter, out. Thank you.